I had a friend when I was a kid. No, I'm, I'm just one. But that's not what this story is about. I just messed up my own story. I have a friend who, when this friend was a kid, was growing up, you know, uh, had a fear, terror really, of her dad. She feared him for several reasons, but a couple of the main reasons that she was afraid of her dad was because he had an impossibly high standard for everything. Like it was this, everything had to be perfect, and he is the one who defined perfect, right? So this impossibly high standard. And so, you know, that's tough in and of itself. But then, you know, you're like, well, is that really a reason to fear? Is that really a reason to to be afraid of him to any kind of degree at all? Well, maybe in and of itself it's not. But this friend of mine would undergo serious discipline slash probably even to the level of punishment. And if you don't know what the difference between discipline and punishment is, come ask me later. That's a sermon for another day. And they are different, completely different. They don't feel different, but the purpose behind them is completely different, right? And, and God disciplines those he loves. But this is probably more punishment, you know, when she failed to meet the standard. Whatever the standard was, it didn't matter what she was pursuing. If she didn't meet her dad's standard, this punishment came upon her, and it was usually serious, severe punishment. Now, her dad made claims the whole time they loved her. Now, I want you guys to think back and maybe, maybe think about your, your growing up time or maybe some of you are still in the growing up time and your parent did something that didn't seem pleasant at the time and yet made claims that they loved you and it was for your best. Now, maybe it was and maybe it wasn't. It depends on your particular situation, right? But my friend could never accept these claims of love from her dad. Could never believe in these claims because... His impossible standards, coupled with the punishment when she failed to meet him, did not make her feel as though she was accepted and loved by him at all. I mean, she could never fall short without being punished. And so she's like, wow, you know, he he doesn't really love me because if he loved me, not that it would be okay to mess up, but, you know, I should be able to do this without being punished. She kind of got to the point in her life, and maybe you with a parent or somebody that you have, you're at this point too, where you feel like, if they're ever going to accept me, I'm going to have to get so much better at pleasing them. I'm going to have to become a mind reader. I'm going to have to become this way, this something transformative is going to have to happen inside of me to where I know exactly what they want, exactly how they want it, exactly when they want it, and exactly why they want it. I'm going to have to become so much better at pleasing them. And my friend thought that. My friend tried so hard. But no matter how hard she tried, she never could quite please him. Part of the reason is that if she met a standard, she found on the other side of that standard was yet a higher standard. Yet a more difficult hurdle to jump. It, it, it was like running a race. It was like running the high hurdles on a track and field. But every time you cleared a hurdle, the next hurdle was six inches higher. And pretty soon it didn't feel like running high hurdles anymore. It felt like doing a series of high jumps. And then if you just got where you could clear those, it started feeling like you needed a pole to pole vault it. 
It just seemed like this never-ending vicious cycle of higher and higher and higher standards. So it's easy to understand how my friend might come to the conclusion that her dad didn't love her and would never accept her fully. But to this day, it doesn't stop her from wanting his love and acceptance. But it also made her develop a side effect of the fear of failure. So my friend is afraid to fail. And what's happened with her earthly dad when she was growing up has affected her life in tremendous ways where she is afraid to fail. She's afraid to do anything. And it's not saying that she never tries anything, but there's always this constant nagging, what if I fail, that's hanging back there that kind of dominates and controls everything. Now, in a moment of honesty, at least internally, you may not externally show, show this in this moment of honesty, but in a moment of honesty, can you admit to yourself at least and maybe to others around you if you have that fear of failure as well? Maybe it's not from the exact same things. Maybe it's not from your dad's higher and higher standards. But how many of you today struggle with that fear of failure? I have to believe that it's most, if not all of us, God has done an amazing work in my own life a number of years ago that I don't have a fear of failure for the most part. It's interesting. Um, last night as I was at home with my wife and everything, I figured out there's still some that are there a little bit, but it's not like it used to be. You know, God has set me free from most of it, this fear of failure. That's how I could stand up here and I can say, and, and I'm not trying to belittle our church in any way shape or form but i can say to you if occa collapses and closes tomorrow i know whether you know or not i'm not a bum and it's not my fault there's over 200 people that go to church here it's on way more than me okay and then i know that god says he'll grow the church not jerry will have to grow the church so like i don't have my self-esteem tied to this Right? And so then I can get up and I can take bold steps and I can fail and mess up and all. And I do. Boy, I expected an amen to come from that one at least. Like, I expected some, I expected I wouldn't have to call for the amen for that one. But uh, I fail, you know, I mess up. Those things happen. But I don't let those things hold me back because I know that it doesn't define me. But there are many, if not all of us in this room right now, that are afraid of failing, that we're afraid of what it might mean in our lives. We're afraid of the consequences of failure. And we can't take it and we feel like we're never going to be loved. We're never going to be accepted. This deep fear of failure was really a fear of never being truly loved or accepted. I mean, that's what it all boils down to. I will never be truly loved or accepted. That's why I'm afraid to fail. Because if I fail, that means I'm never loved. I'm not accepted. That means I'm rejected. I'm turned away. I'm cast aside. I'm seen as worthless. All of these things. Is it resonating with some of you? I hope. I hope it's resonating. Listen, I want to encourage you today. If this is bringing up emotions, let them come. It's okay. Let them overwhelm you. It's okay. God wants to heal it. My friend's deep fear of failure 
was because she was afraid she would never be loved and accepted by the one person that she felt like she needed to love her more than anybody else. The ironic thing is that I believe with this friend of mine that her dad really does love her and really did back then and really does accept her and really did back then, but he's dysfunctional like everybody else and he doesn't know how to show it. Now, my friend, may, you may not be able to convince her that her dad feels that way about her. And I understand because she was the one who went through all the hell with him. And so it's tough. Her dad continues today to make overtures of love towards her, but they're still dysfunctional overtures of love. They're still not quite where they need to be. Still hard for her to even see them for what they are. But his crazy high disappointment, punishment, discipline when she fails to meet him still makes her afraid and still keeps her away. I mean, this friend of mine, sometimes she writes her dad letters and he corrects her grammar. He corrects her grammar on the letters. Like nothing's good enough. Now, i got to be honest, I don't think he understands the baggage that he's putting on her. And if he does, he's just cruel. This real story may echo your own. But you know what? I think it draws an even closer parallel to every one of our stories when it comes to our Heavenly Dad. Some of you cannot even stomach the idea of calling him a heavenly dad. Some of you right now are even struggling saying that that's almost heretical for me to refer to him in that way as our dad in heaven. You're like, what? You can't refer to him like that. Jesus, you guys, anybody, raise your hand if you remember Jesus saying this. Abba, Father. Does anybody remember that? Abba is the Greek word for daddy. Okay, so if there's any heresy, it's Jesus, that's the heretic, all right? But I think, you know, we all need to wrestle with this. I mean, how many of us right now are feeling inside of us, please don't raise your hands, but, but admit it to yourself. You're feeling like you're never going to please Abba, Dad in heaven. You're never going to do it good enough. His standards are impossibly high. And I agree with you, they are. His standards are perfection. Okay? How many of you are feeling that way? Just admit it to yourself. Today we're going to read through Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 14. I want you to go ahead and open your Bibles up to that. You guys know my disclaimer. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. You might be reading from a different translation. That's okay. Well, let's pick it up there in, in verse 11. Then we're going to pray, and, and then we're going to go on. Amen? But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats, and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. 
For if the blood of goats and bulls and of the sprinkling of a defiled person with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? You may be going, wow, I do not get it all how my pastor got a fear of failure out of this. Hang with me. When you start to understand what the author of Hebrews is saying here, you're going to get it. Let's pray. Father, I ask you today to speak to your people. Speak to your kids. You are more than just father. Because for many of us, that word father is kind of this stern, gruff guy. But you are Abba, Daddy. And Lord, some of us right now are struggling so deeply with seeing you as Abba. We've got wounds that threaten to overwhelm us. And so we ask you today to speak in a way that we all understand. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and God's people said, Amen. So the reason why we fear... Last week, you know, I want to just, before I go on to my points here, I want to just share this real quick. Last week we talked about ritual or reformation and what did God want from us? Did he want from us a ritual or did he want from us a a personal transformation, a reformation inside of each one of us? I, I will say again to you that when you come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he does not give two rips whether or not you pray the sinner's prayer. It's a ritual. And it, the ritual is good to a degree. It only is good for the unintentional things. But for the intentional ways that we've rebelled against God, He wants a reformation inside of us. The author of Hebrews is continuing on this theme of ritual and reformation. He's continuing on this, and and this is where we're getting inside of this passage. And you're going to see these things come out of this passage that maybe you've never even stopped to consider. So what are the reasons why we fear? Under the Old Covenant, the rules and regulation for proper worship were overwhelming. This high standard of perfection, this crazy stuff that was there, you've got to do this and this and this unless this happens, and then you've got to do this and this and this unless this happens, and then you've got to do this and this and this, and you've got to make sure when you're doing it that you're doing it exactly the right way and all of these things, and... The author of Hebrews is actually getting to this. And the author of Hebrews is intentionally putting the, the minds of his readers into these thoughts. And we'll get to that in just a moment. The rules of Old Testament worship draw a parallel with how my friend had to do everything. I want to bring this to a little bit of a of modern idea for you so that you can wrap your head around this. My friend and her dad when she was growing up, my friend as all people my age probably got into at one point. Who remembers like scratch and sniff stickers? Amen? And those little puffy stickers. Remember those little puffy ones and all that stuff? And then you had the big stickers. That, like there were sticker machines everywhere, you know, and you could put your 50 cents in and chink, chink, and the sticker would come out like in this cardboard thing, and you didn't know what it was. It was such a gimmick too because, you know, they set it up, they rotate them through there, and so you got, you, you've got all the stickers, and you're looking for one more, and you got to end up getting five duplicates of the same one to get the thing out of the machine, Right? But you're looking for the hologram stickers and all those things. Well, my friend, like a lot of kids my age, got into the whole 
sticker book thing, but not like going and buying a sticker book that had stickers in it and you had to turn to the right pages and stick stickers. I mean, I don't know. My friend might have done that. But we're talking about like, I'm going to show you how old school I am, getting a trapper keeper. Ha! Anybody know what a trapper keeper is? <laughs> so I'm still waiting for those things to make a comeback. Because when they do, elders are all getting one. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, but anyway, you know, but getting a trapper keeper or whatever, you know, and having these pages and pages of stickers. And now let's just think about this. A sticker, inherent in the name sticker, is that you pull the thing off and stick it on something. But my friend's dad would get so upset if the stickers were removed from the backing i don't know why maybe because they weren't worth money anymore but i'm trying to figure out like does anybody have a sticker collection when they were a kid did you get millions of dollars for yours when you sold it oh you probably didn't sell it it probably went in the trash right i really wonder about those scratch and sniff stickers what do they smell like now like a sweaty sock you're like oh you know but anyways i i digress This was a kid's hobby. The sticker book was a kid's hobby. But her dad got involved in this. And everything had to be perfect. And we couldn't use the glue on the back of the sticker to put the sticker down. No, we had to attach the sticker to the page a different way. It had to have protection with the document protector and all this stuff. And it had to be exactly set perfectly right. Somebody say OCD. Okay, like, thank you, Tina. Somebody besides Tina say OCD. Okay, so my friend's dad was like OCD with this thing. It had to be perfect, right? The sticker books had to be perfect. Her dad wanted her sticker book to be perfect, I believe, because he himself had a deep need to be perfect. He himself had a feeling that he would never measure up, that he would never be loved, that he would never be accepted. And so he drove that onto my friend. He put that on my friend. This deep need. Admittedly, my friend's dad's need for personal perfection is not an exact copy of God's actual perfection. But the point is this. The drive for perfection for my friend came from dad. And the drive for perfection from us comes from our Heavenly Father. It's just like the need to worship and sacrifice perfectly under the Old Testament comes from Heavenly Dad. It comes from Abba. Those are His rules. That's His way of saying that things need to be done. Right? And these things, when, when viewed in the wrong way, can become this overwhelming thing that just threatens to crush us underneath of it. I think the person that is trying to keep these rules perfectly... The joy and happiness that come from worshiping God are replaced by dread and fear. To the person who's trying to keep these rules perfectly, the joy and happiness that come from worshiping God are replaced by dread and fear. This, what if I do it wrong? What if I step out of line? Is not God just waiting to smite me? Is is not God just waiting to crush me? My friend had a fear over her sticker books with her dad. She was afraid that when he would come in, if he'd see something out of place, that she was going to get beat. Yes, beat. Over the sticker books. 
The sticker books were fun once for my friend. But they're now a burden. Interestingly enough, I think those sticker books still exist for my friend. I don't think she has them, but I think they're still somewhere where she knows they are. Somebody else has them. Because there's still some baggage attached to all of that. But they're a burden. They're a reminder of the failures. This is like worshiping God. It was once exciting and life-giving. But then it became a burden because we had to keep the rules. And this is like a paradox. And a paradox, remember, is a thing that logically it doesn't seem to follow, but it is true. I mean, it's like we have to... God gave the rules... But then the rules suck the life right out of it. I mean, Paul says it in Romans chapter seven, he said, or, or chapter six, one or the other. He says, "What then? Did that which promised life bring death? By no means. It was sin within me." I mean, he talks about delighting in the law of the Lord, delighting in all the rules, wanting to follow all of the rules. But then the rules sucking all the life out of him. But him knowing that the rules were good, knowing that the rules were holy, knowing that they were God's thing, but the rules had become this oppressive force inside of his life. I mean, this is a theme that is all throughout the old or all throughout the New Testament. By the way, the rules didn't go away; they still exist today. If you don't like that, take that up with Jesus, not with me. Jesus is the one that said, "Until the end comes, not one jot or tittle will pass away." And friends, the end has not come yet. Jesus was not referring to his death on the cross. The early church used the Old Testament as its scriptures. They wrote the New Testament as they taught Jesus from the Old. Not one jot or tittle has passed away. The fear of failing was so immense that worshipers could not see that God was making overtures of love and acceptance towards them under the Old Testament thing. And this is where we're going to take up with the author of Hebrews, right? The rituals that we talked about last week, plus what is talked about here in verse 13, uh, you know, I I want you to see this. In verse 13 it says, For if the blood of of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons... So you're like, okay, so what is this blood of goats and blood of bulls and all this stuff about? Now, if you were a Jew, and you heard about the blood of goats, you automatically went to the Day of Atonement. God's overture of love. The Day of Atonement. Where the sins were placed on the goat. And the goat was, was sacrificed and, and sent out into the wilderness. And, and, and it was the scapegoat. And so you're, you, you, you went right to that place. And then, then he goes even further. The author of Hebrews, or she, the author of Hebrews, I don't know if it was a girl or a guy, don't have any clue, and neither do you. Okay? The Bible doesn't say who wrote it. But it um, goes to the bulls. And the bulls, the blood of bulls, takes us even further. It takes us deeper into this ritual thing. And then the writer of Hebrews goes to the extreme by talking about heifer's ashes. Now, if you have any idea what the heifer's ashes are about, raise your hand. All right, I'm going to teach you right now. All right. 
Richard Linsky, noted Lutheran commentator, uh, argues this about the, 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 the ashes of the heifers. The writer chooses the heifer's ashes because they illustrate best this personal effect of the, on the individual. For the heifer's blood was used for the tabernacle and the whole congregation. And the ashes of the entire animal, skin, flesh, and blood, even dung, plus cedar wood, hyssop, and scarlet, which you can find this in Numbers 19, verses 4 through 6, and Numbers 19, 18 through 22. I just encourage you to read all of chapter 19. Okay, were used not only for the tabernacle, but also for individual persons who might be ceremonially defiled and unclean in order to cleanse those people individually. The point of verse 13 is thus the effect of the blood upon the individual when it is applied to him according to the ordinances that are laid down in the ceremonial law. The ashes of the heifer, it doesn't get any more personal. The Day of Atonement, the goat was for the nation and the blood of the heifer and all this stuff was for the people and it was slowly making its way down. But the ashes of the heifer were for the individual person to be ceremonially cleaned again. This becomes this very personal overture of love for God to say, I want to restore this with you. Friends, read your Old Testament. You, 99% of the New Testament will make absolutely no sense to you, no matter how spiritual you think you are, unless you read the Old Testament. If all you've read is the New Testament, you started the movie halfway through and do not understand all of the setup for it. How many of you would have ever got this individual atonement thing out of just reading over the heifer's ashes? Raise your hand if you would have got it just by reading it. No, you need the Old Testament backdrop, which explains that it was for individuals. Numbers 19 explains that the ashes were for the individual to make the individual ceremonially clean. This specific ordinance was God extending grace and forgiveness. But to the person who's already overwhelmed with ordinances... Seem like just another added rule. See, if I'm already overwhelmed with the rules and you give me one more, man, I don't know that I'm even open to understanding what it means. I'm already beat down. I'm already feeling like a failure. And you just want to add one more thing on top of this? I mean, I'm not open to hearing it. It's like I'm sitting there in this posture, which says I'm closed. No, I wasn't picking on you. As soon as I said that, I like, she's sitting there with her arms folded. And I'm like, this is going to be awkward. <laughs> no, for you it means I'm cold. <laughs> but no, you know when somebody's talking to you and you're like, hmm, right? Which is not what Carol was doing. All right. So I repent, Carol. I didn't mean to draw attention to you. So anyways, now let me get back on track here. What was I saying? Um... So to the person who's already overwhelmed, it's like, wow, another rule? Right? We can't see it for what it is. It just seems like another rule. So what what was God to do? My friend's dad was never able to figure out to this day what to do to make her feel loved and accepted. 
But Abba, Dad in heaven, he doesn't give up that easy. As a matter of fact, our dad in heaven knew from the beginning of time that he would have to do something so amazing, so overwhelmingly full of love, that we could never confuse it with yet another impossible ritual to follow. So what does Abba do? God came in the form of the man Jesus Christ, kept all of the rules for us, and gave his very life to free us from... Some of you are thinking I put that wrong, but I didn't. Some of you are thinking that should say free us from sin. That's one of the things. But listen, he came to free you from that fear that's crippling you. See, the salvation that Christ offers through his blood is more than just a ticket into heaven after you die. It's abundant life here and now. It's the freedom from fear here and now. It's the freedom to move forward into God's presence and to stumble and fall when you're doing it and say, it's okay, Dad loves me. See, because the whole thing about what Dad did here, He did it once for all and we can't even try to mimic it. Some of you may not even know what, the, what Jesus did. Listen to me. Three minutes or less. Okay? Stick with me. I'm going to go fast. Bonnie, feel free to translate it. Whatever you want, share the plan of salvation to them. Don't pay attention to me, and we'll come back together. Okay? So here's what Jesus did. We couldn't keep the law perfectly. Right? The law, by the way, still needs to be talked about in today's modern world. Okay? Because the law, breaking the law... Breaking God's law is what sin is. So when we hate, we're guilty of murder. When we look with lust, we're guilty of adultery already in our heart. When we lie, we are guilty of sinning against the God of all of the universe. We're guilty of sinning against a holy God. We need to hold ourselves up next to God's law. Not to see that we're perfectly kept it, but to see how badly we've wrecked it. The scriptures tell us that, it's a, that the law is a schoolmaster or a guardian to drive us to Christ. It's to show us our weakness. It's to show us our imperfections. It's to drive us to Him so that we go to Him and we throw ourselves on His mercy and say, there's no way. I can't keep these rules. It's to bring us to a place where we stop trying. Jesus came and He followed it all perfectly. And he says, you're right, you can't keep it all, but I did keep it all. Now the Bible teaches us that sin brought about death. It is, death is only a consequence of sin. And sin is transgressing God law, God's law. And Jesus never transgressed God's law. So logically, Jesus should not have died. So why did he die? And we all have probably heard this. He died for our sin. We have an immense debt to pay. He had no debt to pay, so therefore he was able to pay all of ours. People say, well, I don't know about the whole resurrection thing. Well, listen, if God is right and sin brought about death, so death is just a penalty of sin, and Jesus never sinned, could the penalty possibly hold him? Logically. Keep the miracle out of it right now. Just look at logic. Of course not. If death is really just a penalty of sin, then it can't stay on Jesus. 
And so he comes out of the ground. And he says, in order for you to receive that into your life, you needed to do two things. Repent and put your trust in him. Repent is not just to say sorry for certain things. It's to say, man, I don't want to be that person anymore. I want to turn away from this life. I want to be something completely different. God, I want you to transform me. I don't want to live for me or for that stuff anymore. Help me. And then the trusting in him is that you stop trying to earn his favor. You stop trying to get the sticker book just so-so so dad will take you. It's not that we don't have holy works come out of our life. We certainly do. Some of you in this room have never done those two things. Some of you in this room have, have repented, but you're still trying to earn. You're still trying to make sure God takes you. You're still trying to do all of the things. And others of you aren't trying to do all of the things, but you haven't repented. It's the it's this opposite sides of the same coin. Jesus said, unless you repent, you likewise shall perish. He said, repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But he also tells us that we have to trust in him. We have to stop trying. So I'm going to go on and let you think about that because that's not my main point. My main point, you ready, Bon? You are? Okay. So my main point is this. The sanctifying power of Jesus' sacrifice freed us from a need to please God via perfect obedience we can never attain. This is what it says in verse 14. You're like, no, it doesn't. Well, check it out. Look at that and then put, compare this to verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works? To serve the living God. Now that's just a really strange way to phrase it, I think. I mean, God knew that we would never be able to serve Him perfectly. So like my friend's dad, He came alongside to help. But unlike my friend's dad, who's helping with the sticker books only made things worse, God's help freed us to fail. Wow, we got to failing from that? Yes. God knew that we were never going to be able to do it perfectly, and so His help has freed us to fail. It's not encouraged us to fail. It's not said go and fail. It has freed us to fail without condemnation. Heavenly Dad doesn't want you to fail. But He knows that you will fail, and He's made provision for that. why i don't have any self-esteem tied to this or as god pointed out to me last night very very little tied to this i'm free to fail and know that whether you believe it or not my dad in heaven loves me in march we're going to have a, a speaker come for a weekend do a holy spirit weekend teaching us on this on the holy spirit and what the alliance believes about the holy spirit his name's rob reamer and when rob comes i hope he says it if he doesn't say it i'm going to say it to you for right now if you don't like me rob says this all the time and i think it's dead on now listen to it it sounds really arrogant at first but think about it if you don't like me you lack discernment because my father in heaven has perfect discernment and he loves me That's true about you too. If I don't like you, I like discernment. Because your father in heaven, he's perfectly 
discerning. He loves you. He thinks you're great. Right? I mean, God has set us free to fail. He doesn't want us to fail, but He says, look, I love you enough and I want to be involved in you with this relationship enough and it's going to be messy and sometimes you're going to fall on your face and that's okay. I'm going to be there to pick you up. I'm not going to be there to oppress you to make sure the stickers are all perfect. See, I I think if God... And you've probably heard illustrations like this before. I I think if God had a refrigerator in heaven, your messed up sticker book page would be hanging on it. Right? He wouldn't say, let's fix the sticker book. He'd probably probably say, let's let's peel the back off and stick it to the paper. Oh, it's crooked. Uh, You know, next time we could tilt it like this, but let's leave it. It's all this learning process. I mean, the sanctifying power of Jesus' sacrifice... Open the door for us to serve God from a place of love and acceptance. This is what Christ our sanctifier did. We talk about Christ our sanctifier in the Christian and Missionary Alliance. It's part of the fourfold gospel. That, that thing hanging on the wall, it's missing the globe, and I understand, but look on this side of the worship center, on your left, up there on the wall, there's a cross, there's a crown, there's a pitcher, and there's a laver. Okay, the laver, which is the thing that looks like a wine glass, but is actually nothing. It's huge. It's in real life. It's from me to Jerry Rimbold across. It's that big. It's low to the ground. It's what you would refer to in the Old Testament as the bronze sea. It's where the priests would do the ceremonial washings. Okay, Christ our sanctifier. Right. Christ didn't come just to get you into heaven. He came so that you could serve Him out of love and acceptance. Listen, it says that in verse 14, doesn't it? Free our minds from dead works to serve Him. Listen, Old Testament legalism and even New Testament legalism is trying to earn our favor with God. It is not saying that we need to be holy. That isn't legalism. That isn't what Jesus came to speak against was holiness. I mean, the New Testament repeatedly says, be holy because I'm holy. We are part of the holiness movement. We believe the whole Bible, including the parts that say be holy. I just want to do a lot of holy, holy, holy stuff right there, but I'm just going to leave it alone because it's going to get really cheesy really fast. You get the point, okay? But see, one is trying to curry God's favor. The other says, I've already got his favor and I can serve him out of that love and acceptance. So when I fall down, I know he's not disappointed. I know he doesn't want to put the boots to me. Instead, he wants to pick me back up and say, try again. Try again. I love you. Try again. I want you to try again. God has freed us from the fear of failure. He knows we're going to fail, but He loves and accepts us anyways. But there's an old song that some of you might know. Who knows who who the Christian group Mary Mary is? Anybody? I might have said this to you before. There's an old song that says, Take the shackles off my feet so I can dance. Just want to praise you. Just want to praise you. Listen, he's taking the shackles off of your feet. Your hands are unchained. The prison door is open. Walk out of it! Walk out! If you choose to, to stay in fear right now, It's not because God hasn't freed you. He has. But you have to do something that's so counterintuitive. While you fear, you have to say, Lord, I fear. 
but I trust you and step out. Step out. I promise he won't slam the door on you. I promise you, he won't, you won't find out that there was another set of shackles on you that kept you bound to this. I promise you this because he promises you this. I don't have to back up his word. He has to back up his word. Walk out. When you're no longer afraid to fail, guess what happens? You allow margin for other people to fail. If you have a big problem with other people and how they're doing their job or how they're doing their ministry or how they're doing all of those things, might I suggest to you that what that really is is your own fear of failure. God wants to heal you today. He wants to set you free. Some of you who are, who are overwhelmed with fear know, as you think about this now, that you are critical towards other people and you've never thought that your criticalness towards them your the way you easily get hurt or different things like that how you're affected by those things you never thought that had anything to do with you you thought it had to do with them i promise you today it's because of you not and i'm not trying to criticize you i'm saying you're afraid that you'll never be loved and accepted and so it's kept you from loving and accepting other people with all their warts And listen, the Spirit of God, I know He's telling you on the inside right now that that's true. He wants to free you today. It's okay to fail. Listen, God could grow this church better than any of us. But because He loves and accepts us, He said, come do it with me. I know you're going to mess it up. Come do it with me. I know you're going to mess it up but I don't care. I want to love you. I want to be in relationship with you. How many of you have ever tried to teach your kids something? Raise your hand. Did you expect that they were going to mess up? Amen? But you did it anyways, right? Because you loved them. You want them to learn and grow, right? You could do it better. I'm going to go a little step further. I'm going to pick on Brian. Brian came over and helped me put a hot water heater in my house, and he could have done it better by himself, but he let me help. Because he was hoping I'd learn and grow, and he'd not have to help again. Right? No, but see, Brian helped, and and we talked about this with Jerry and and, and Porter and, and Dylan and I about helping because it's part of the relationship. It's part of being connected with one another. It's part of being in this thing, walking alongside of each other in life, working with each other, sharing life with one another. This is what God wants to do with you. So the band's going to come back. And I have, and, and, and I have no idea what song they're going to do because I got a feeling they're not going to do what they planned on doing because Mark a lot of times doesn't do what he plans on doing once he hears the sermon, and that's cool. Maybe he's going to do it. I don't know. There's no pressure, Mark. But as they come back, I'm going to, I'm going to share some homework with you, and then we're going to have an old-fashioned altar call. Right? Listen, these scriptures that I'm going to share with you right now, these are showing you that God has freed you to fail. That He wants you to, to trust Him even through the failures. 1 Corinthians 1, 20-31. That's Monday. 
Tuesday, Matthew 11, 25 through 30. Wednesday, John 8, 1 through 11. Thursday, I went old school on you, went to Psalms, went to the Old Testament. Verses, uh, Psalm 8, verses 1 through 9. Friday, John chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. It's not a typo. End on 17. This is a great one. Jesus didn't come in the world to condemn the world. He came into it to save it. Wow. Talk about letting us be free to fail. Amen. And then Saturday, Romans 8, 1 through 11. It's not that God wants you to fail. He, he doesn't want you to fail. But He knows that you will. He knows that you'll follow Him imperfectly. And He says, you know what? Come follow me anyway. Come be involved in this anyway. Let's pray together. And if you're taking a picture of the screen, you can continue to do that. Let's pray. Father, I just pray during this altar call time that you might speak to hearts, that you might speak to lives, you might speak to minds. And Father, that today some people would be set free from the fear of failure, that we would be set free from this thing that threatens to dominate and overwhelm us, that, it would, that we'd be set free from seeing uh, that the Christian faith is just a bunch of rules that we cannot keep, but Lord, that we would see instead that the Christian faith is something that you want to walk along with us in that is relationally based. Yes, there are rules to it, but you know we're not going to be able to keep those things perfectly, and so you say you will empower us as we follow you. Father, help us to grow. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said.